0: You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa.
1: Back together again, and we got another smoking hot Thursday afternoon. We'll deal with it. It's August in Alabama. And that's what we get. I can't imagine being on a practice field. Did it 50 years ago and didn't like it then. Now it would just literally probably kill me But anyway, welcome to the program A lot of things to talk about That notably, Auburn's underway Big question mark at running back For the Tigers Uh, Other things that are going on Congratulations to uh, Donnie Allison, one of the members of the Alabama gang. As uh, it was announced yesterday afternoon that he was going to be inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame, something that he uh, dearly wanted, and it happened. He got a lot of support from the fans, he got a lot of support from those in NASCAR, and uh, after uh, what I would consider too long a to wait, it's over. So let's not worry about what didn't happen. Let's worry about what happened yesterday, and that's that Donnie Allison is going into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So much of the fact that uh, at 1230, we'll uh, talk to Donnie Allison himself from his home up and in around the Charlotte area. And then uh, second hour, Lars will love this because Lars loves the NFL, but our NFL connection from the Tampa Bay Bucs now retired is um, Rick Christofeld. Long time with UAB, but when I got in touch with Rick yesterday, Lars,
2: I'll give you one guess as to what he was doing. He was playing golf with whom? With BA, exactly. My man, my man Bruce Arians, yeah. So
1: that's exactly what he was doing, and I imagine that would have been something to just ride along the cart behind him and listen to. But anyway, I know you. I'll know you'll love talking the NFL. Uh, because I, I brown water was opened on the on the nine last nine holes I, at least by BA I don't know I can't speak for
2: Rick but anyway yeah, um, brown all brown waters gonna... with BA the brown water is always flowing uh, freely and that... uh, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're on the front nine back nine breakfast please. <laughs> yeah, <breakfast. Well>, <laughs>
1: He's pretty much retired now. They can both do what they want to.
2: Yeah, that's a, the perk of being a consultant. A highly compensated com- consultant is uh, you can play golf, and you don't have to be down in Tampa in the in the muggy, muggy heat uh, outside and uh, at practice. You know, patrolling the sidelines, but. Yeah, Rick uh he was one of my absolute best sources for when I wrote Season in the Sun and uh, just gave me great insight into you know Tom Brady and and uh and just how Tom uh, won over the team, and you know just that, that transition. And uh, I get uh, detail that in the book, but uh, yeah, he, he's one of my favorite people in the NFL, along with Bruce. And uh, I, it'll be great catching up with him. And you you must be really happy for Donnie Allison. You've had a yeah. uh, uh, you've had a professional relationship with him for so long, and you know him on on a personal level. What, what do you think this means to him to uh, to enter the Hall of Fame?
1: Well, we'll find out at the bottom of the hour, uh, but it means a lot to me personally because I know how much he wanted it. And you remember we've had Jimmy Creed on our show, longtime NASCAR writer from over in the Talladega area. Uh, you know, It was something that he pushed for. Uh, Donnie didn't openly push for it because that's just not what you do if you've got the chance to be a Hall of Famer. But uh, a lot of people were on Donnie Allison's side. And, you know, when you look at his record, Um, He had 10 wins. You know, that's nothing to sneeze at, 18 polls. Uh, But Donnie's career was cut short by injury, and you can't really elect somebody in the Hall of Fame of what they could have done. But I think you have to also consider what Donnie did off the track and then what he did just off the track in Daytona. I mean, shouldn't he be in the NASCAR Hall of Fame just for that spectacular moment in February at Daytona in the 500 on CBS, national television? Uh, But he was also a racer in many other uh, platforms. Uh, He was a rookie of the year in Indianapolis. I don't know if people knew that or not, but he finished fourth at the Indy 500 in his first open-wheel race. So uh, kudos to Donnie, and we'll talk to him at the bottom of the hour and it just goes to show you how darn strong that alabama gang was
2: yeah and uh speaking of alabama uh crimson tide uh out on the practice field first day of uh pre-season camp i know they reported yesterday and uh and now they are out and uh and snapping the uh, chin straps on and and you you know that uh that we're 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 getting closer and closer to meaningful football because Nick Saban seemed a little bit on edge yesterday uh when he uh was holding a uh a a, a function for Nick's kids and uh, of course you know one of the first questions was uh asked of him about hey uh what uh what, you know, How, how how's the attitude of, of the entire team going into camp and, and Nick Saban, he didn't want any of that. He, he was like, hey, what does this have to do with Nick's kids? Uh, but begrudgingly, he went on to answer the question and, and uh, you know, he just essentially said, you know, and I love this because he kind of just, I love how uh, Nick just sums things up and he took a, a big picture look at his team and he said, talent is not good enough. Because last year, clearly, uh, Alabama had the talent to win a national championship, but it just came down to you know a handful of plays that did not go Alabama's way, and so I think this theme you're going to hear consistently from Coach Saban is it's it's not just talent; it's just you have to be in the right mindset. Uh, you have to just uh, you know just uh, adhere to the process, right? one play at a time. Every play is its own living, breathing organism. And once that play is over, it is disposed of, and you are on to the next thing. And and uh, and it's almost like you get, you know, robotic. And again, he just, he's so, uh, uh, stresses, don't worry about outcomes. Just worry about what is happening from whistle to whistle. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, he also used the word anxious. He used that word a lot last year, anxiety, anxious, and uh, he said, you know, the more times that you are, the more prepared you are, the less anxious you will be because you don't care about the outcomes because you are so uh, just uh, on top of everything and uh, and then the talent will take over. So. Um, You know, Matt, uh, do you remember your first, the first time you covered Alabama football when it was opening day, opening day of practice? I think we had a glitch there, but I think we're back. All right. Bars? Yeah. Do, do you remember? Yeah, Matt, I just I was just asking you, do you remember uh, the first time you covered Alabama's f- uh, first opening practice? And, and and can you take us back to what that was like? Because now, you know, the <laughs> the access that the media has is so restricted and it's a, almost a non-existent. But uh, I'm sure when you started covering uh, Bear Bryant and uh, and others at Alabama, that the access was wide open.
1: It was, and and I missed that. And I, I think the schools miss an opportunity for a lot of really good exposure for their football teams, but everybody does it. The way I'm looking at it right now, Alabama media, those in the media will have access to some limited practice on Fan Day, the fifth, coming up this Saturday. And that's pretty much it for the rest of the year. And that's just a darn shame. What are we going to do? Go in there and take pictures of your offense and mail it off to Billy Napier? Uh, I mean, I I don't get it. I don't like it. But I can just sit here and gripe on the radio all day long. It's not going to change. But going back to your original question, and I think it's a good one, the first Alabama practice I covered was in August of 82. It was 179 degrees when we walked out (laughs) on the field. It was just unbelievably hot, but they were in full pads. Uh, and they were hitting. I mean, that's the first thing. walked <laughs> out there. I went, mean, man, Coach Bryant they not waste any time. They were hitting the sleds. They were hitting each other. They were hitting his tower. Um, and there was so much energy on that practice field. It was just amazing. But that's back when they would go in the morning. They'd go in the afternoon. And, um, man, Coach Bryant was not shy on weeding, weeding players. You know, he... He's going to find out who wanted to play. And he would find out in the spring and then again in August, in August. And we've all seen or read about the Junction Boys, what he did when he was at Texas A&M. And that's the way it was. These days, you couldn't do that. I mean, you can't do that. But uh, I do remember how I felt mentally and emotionally when I walked out there. Coach Bryant was actually in a – he had his hand in the dirt. This is 1982, and he was showing a defensive lineman how to get around a tackle. And it wasn't good enough that the other coaches were teaching him. He got down on three-point stance. Dave Baird shot the video. It's still around somewhere. And there he was at 64 years old with his hand in the dirt showing his D-line. So it was was incredible, a great moment, and I'm glad you brought it up because that just made me feel
2: good. Yeah, I mean, I I love it right there because that – you know, as a writer, that is a scene that you could paint as the uh, as the opener to a story about the first day of camp. And when oh, you, you can't, can't. You
1: wouldn't. You would understand this. The number of network affiliates and networks that called and wanted that video. Yeah. I think we actually made a little money on it. I have to ask Dave Beard. but I interrupted you. Apologize.
2: No, no, it, it's just it's just great, and uh, you know, even the, the fact that. Reporters aren't allowed to really watch any practice. I think that is a uh, result of COVID, right? Because so many restrictions were put in place. And I think, uh, you know, certain people said, hey, we kind of like that, not having the media around at all. Uh, don't have to answer questions about who's present and who's not. And um, just makes life a little bit easier for uh, a couple of people. Uh, not having the reporters around. And so uh, they won't be coming back anytime soon. And that is, uh, a trend, obviously, that is, uh, already gripped, uh, the entirety of all of college football. But so Alabama is not unique in this respect at, at no. all. But, uh, definitely want to talk about Hugh Freeze. And he is generating national headlines. And boy, the Hugh Freeze love train is steaming down the tracks. <laughs> At high speed right now.
1: And uh, I have a little personal contact with Hugh Freeze, not myself, but uh, my grandkids were down there yesterday. Got to meet, talk to Hugh, and ask him some questions about quarterback. No, I'm just kidding about that. But one note on the not being able to attend practice I think COVID certainly escalated it. But we were headed in that direction. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's just the way they wanted it. But uh, that just put the throttle. All right. uh, Hey, Lars, we'll talk Auburn. What are they going to do at running back? They've got a situation there because Jarrett Wes Hunter is not on the practice field.
2: Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com.
0: Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. We're tracking strong storms dropping south across North Alabama this afternoon. We're going to deal with them and a couple of more this afternoon, tonight, and tomorrow. Hot and humid your forecast. Heat indices approaching dangerous levels. Some of those storms could be strong to severe. 95 today, 75 tonight, 93 tomorrow with a couple of rounds of strong, possibly severe storms again on Friday. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 93 degrees in
3: Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Hey, back
1: on the show. It is football time in Alabama, both at Alabama and Auburn. Speaking of the Tigers, Hugh Freeze uh, now has another uh, decision to make. Uh, That's at running back. Uh, The main running back was going to get the carries, was fabulous at times last year. That's Jarquez Hunter. You remember in the offseason, sex tapes popped up on the internet, and we've not heard much about that since, except that uh, he was on the team, but he is not on the field today. And that's tough because Auburn's running back room is not large. It's going to come down to Jeremiah Cobb or Brian Batty, but uh, there is another situation that Hugh Freeze has got to face, but... Gee, every time I hear, see, read a quote from this guy, I think, well, if there's a guy that's going to be able to handle it, it's Hugh Freeze. He he hasn't coached a snap on the field during a game yet, but uh, Hugh Freeze has opened a lot of eyes, not just in the SEC, but in college football.
2: Yeah, I mean, you go to ESPN.com right now, and uh, on the upper right, uh, as a writer, that's where you always want to be on the on the top of the right pay of the top of the right uh, on the on your computer screen. Uh, top stories on Hugh Freeze and and Auburn uh, opening preseason camp uh, uh, this this afternoon, and um, man, like Hugh Freeze, he is as as sort of. As hot as any coach in the country right now, just uh, how he has generated so much buzz, Matt. In it's he has just made every correct step since, uh, SEC media days, right? You and I both thought that, uh, if you can be a quote unquote winner at SEC media days, Hugh Freeze was it because he was open. He was honest. He was transparent. He was authentic. He was, um, uh, he came off as a very different person than he was six years earlier, his last time to SEC media days. And, uh, and then he, you know, flips a recruit, gets a five-star, uh, and he gets a, a really good lineman from Northwestern. And, uh, you know, when he was meeting with reporters this morning, he said, you know, he used the word anxious as well. Apparently every coach in the SEC is a little anxious right now, anxious today. Uh, but he said he was anxious because he's behind in his evaluation of kind of who we are and what we can do. Um, but uh, you know he's got eight transfers uh, coming in for the first time. We weren't here in the spring, so uh, he is going to have a real up close look at you know for the first time what the uh, the roster construction is going to look like, and also you know there's a lot of competition going on uh, for for various jobs, and and uh, the, uh, the the number one uh, competition is at quarterback. And, uh, and that's, uh, I think it's gonna be, I really do think it's gonna be Peyton Thorne uh, from Michigan State. He also was a late addition, but and apparently Peyton Thorne, he has just been all over Hugh Freeze. Just like every free second that Hugh Freeze has had uh, the last few weeks, uh, Peyton Thorne is, has wanted uh, Hugh Freeze's ear. And so um, I think Auburn is going to be in a similar situation as Alabama, where I think they're going to play uh, Thorne and Robbie Ashford at the beginning of the season. And hey, let's see who wins the team. Same, same situation at Alabama. Uh, we've been talking about the quarterback situation, you know, for months and months and months. And finally, um, it will be, you know, it would be, it would be great to, uh, to be on the Alabama practice field just to see who got the first rep with the ones, right, at quarterback uh, today. Who, who do you think, by the way, who do you think that is going to be? Who's going to get that first rep?
1: Oh, wow. Uh... Come on. Let's, I'm gonna, let's get into I'm it. Gonna, I'm going to punt. No, I'm not going to. I think <laughs> it's going to be Robbie Ashford. I know Peyton Thorne comes down with uh, his credentials at Michi- Michigan State. By the way, that's the big Ten. That's pretty good competition. Yeah. are just outstanding. So I think maybe Ashford will get the first few snaps. Uh, maybe just because, um, what do you call it, uh, senior, you know, yeah. he's – because of his experience, and maybe even, you know, to a certain extent, just out of respect. Been there, done that, and let's get Asher the first uh, few snaps. But when you look at Thorne's stats, you go, how can this guy not start? I'm going to look him up here for you real quick and give them to you. But uh, yeah. I just remember saying, wow, this guy... <laughs>
2: Yeah, see, he had success at a really high level in the Big Ten, and he's played in a lot of big games, been in a lot of challenging environments, and I I think he ultimately is going to emerge, but I do uh, agree with you. I think Robbie Ashford is going to have a significant role with Auburn this year, even if he's not starting and, uh, man, he, just, he has so much raw talent. And can, yes. Hugh, can Hugh Freeze, you know, sculpt that, that, uh, that chunk of clay, right, into something beautiful, something exquisite? And uh, I think he can, actually. I really do. Um, but, uh, it, and so Auburn and Alabama, they both have some questions at quarterback. So how about the same question about Alabama? Who do you think uh, gets oh. the first snap with the ones? Good topic. Uh, I'm
1: going to kind of stick to my format here. I'll go with Milrow.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting. I I think I, I agree with you. I think Ashford gets the first snap, and I think Milrow gets the first snap. I ultimately, come November, I don't think either of those guys is starting. Uh, I'm I'm on I'm I'm on Team uh, Simpson You're at Alabama. Simpson
1: guy, and yep. uh, I've kind of been that way. But I always just circle back to why did he leave Notre Dame, and why did the offensive coordinator come here if they're not going to play Tyler Buckner? But you know, he has to win the team. He can know the offense. He can have a great relationship with the OC. But if he doesn't win the team like Nick Saban wants, they'll go to Milrow. Hey, by the way, at Michigan State, Thorne uh, started twenty nine games. He was sixteen and nine. Um, he had sixty one percent completion rate, six thousand four hundred ninety three yards. He threw for forty nine touchdowns. Um, that's almost two a game. He uh, had high interception rate for these days. He had twenty four, but he also rushed for two hundred seventy yards and six touchdowns too. So, I I think eventually in uh, We agree who will get the first snap. I think uh, we agree what's going to happen at Auburn. Uh, I think we disagree. You're going to go Simpson. I just, uh, I don't know. It's a gut feel more than anything else. But I think Alabama, somewhere throughout the first couple of games of the season, they're going to figure out and they're going to give the ball to Tyler Butler.
2: Well, yeah, that, that'll be interesting. Uh, it, it's really, it's not just interesting to us too, Matt. I mean, I know that we are in the thick of it here in Alabama, but this is one of the top Two or three storylines in all of college football. If you're actually just talking about what is happening on the field and not conference realignment and how the Pac-12 is about ready to die, a very Northwestern, um, <laughs> <and> all, all <laughs> yeah, all Northwestern, and on yeah. and on and on. Um, but yeah, about Peyton Thorn, he, he's not going to, you know, wow you with the the big arm. Um, but what the, he just he does the little things. Correct. Like he just he, he reminds me of a really good sort of backup in the NFL, right? He knows where to go with the ball based on uh, the based on the, the formation he sees in front of him, down in distance, tendencies and all of that. Like he, he, he he's gonna get that really quick. And this could be really – it could be good for Robbie Ashford in the long term to have a veteran like Peyton Thorne um, that he can just watch, you know, see, see how he does it. How does he dissect and attack uh, different defenses and different fronts, different coverages? And, um, yeah, I think uh, Robbie Ashford, though, Matt, he has so much just God-given talent. He's got a huge arm. He's fast. He's big. Uh, well, we'll see. I mean, Hugh Freeze—that's why he's getting the big bucks. Can can he uh, can he turn Robbie Ashford into you know Malik something Willis. special? <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Um,
1: yeah, but, uh, I, I I think, and you just mentioned it. Thorne is absorbing, and what is he a puppy dog as far as following Hugh Freeze around? Uh, <laughs> and if you're a quarterback at Auburn right now, if you're not shadowing. Hugh Freeze, then you're not going to start. You got to learn his system. You got to gain his trust and get it in a hurry. But uh, one of the things a quarterback right now doesn't have that he really, really needs is an established running back. Because Jarquez Hunter is—he's uh, not on the practice field. He is on the roster. Just when they bring him back, uh, that's troublesome. Um, but we'll see. That's all Hugh. That's again—it's in Hugh Freeze's court. Donnie Allison, NASCAR Hall of Fame, inductee for 2024 is up next on Big Den Sports. Brought to you by Haiti Sansing, Union Home Mortgage.
3: this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports.
1: Indeed, Big Noon Sports, 1230, our time's 130, where Donnie Allison is joining us. As uh, he found out yesterday afternoon, as millions did across the nation, that he's going to be inducted as part of the Class 2024 in nascar donnie first of all a hearty congratulations from all of us and how you feeling congratulations what's your response I, I, I feel real good i've
5: been pretty busy since i got home yesterday afternoon i had uh my phone has really been blown up i got up this morning and i had 26 messages 16 voicemails and uh my phone was ringing when i got out of bed <laughs>
1: All right, you've got to set this up, because I'm assuming that Pat and family was around. Who called you, and what was, like, the immediate reaction at the Donnie Allison household? Well,
5: actually, they called me last week, and wanted uh, want to know, could I come down to the Hall of Fame, you know, when they had the announcement. At that time, the vote hadn't been in or anything like that. In fact, uh, the announcement came right after the vote. Uh And I said, sure, I'll come down there. Well, I got down there, and they had a a Hawaiian Tropic number one car sitting there. I said, wow, (laughs) they might already know something and told me. But uh, I didn't know it for sure until yesterday afternoon when I went to the Hall of Fame. And uh, I was announced uh, right after Janet Guthrie, uh, and it was amazing.
2: Donnie, uh, it's Lars Anderson here. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Hearty congratulations as well. Uh, And and for those of us in Alabama, just couldn't be prouder of you and the fact that another member of the Alabama gang is is going into the Hall of Fame. You're going to be joining your brother Bobby, your nephew Davey Allison, your your friend uh, Red Farmer, all part of the Alabama gang. Donnie, do you remember the first time you heard the phrase Alabama gang?
5: Um. Yes, I do. Uh, it was back when we had the modified specials. Uh, we went to a race that Jack Ingram was there, and he's the one that, that brought the praise about, oh, here comes that damn Alabama gang again. <laughs> and from that time on, it pretty well stuck, and then Bob Harmon, which everybody in Alabama knew, is probably the best promoter, race promoter, the best one I knew anyway, and he used it quite a bit, and you know it's like i said at the time it was going on we i didn't really think about being a gang but afterwards you think about we took all their money so we were a pretty bad gang
2: (laughs) (laughs) i love that well what can you be a little more specific just what what made the alabama gang so special what what made you guys uh stronger sort of as a group than as individuals
5: well the three of us were so close uh you know, we didn't work out of the same exact shop, but we helped each other all the time. And everywhere we went, we went together. <clears throat> I mean, the cars lined up, trucks lined up. And, you know, I mean, it just it, it, five nights a week, all three cars would show up exactly at the same time. And usually, most usually, it'd be first, second, and third, first, second, and fourth. You know, very seldom did we lose a race. Uh, uh, I tell everybody in 1962 we ran 106 races and between Bobby Red and I won 96 of them. Good grief. And we all won in the 30s. <laughs> so you 96 that that don't give 30, 31 and 32 is about the amount of races we we, we <laughs> won. Bobby won the most that year and then Red argued with me that he won more than I did. I said <laughs>
1: okay. So uh, it goes deeper than that because uh, both you and Bobby drove up here from Miami. So go over that little story of how two guys from Miami ended up uh, essentially in Hueytown and befriending Red Farmer.
5: Well, the thing about it was is, uh, a good friend of ours, Kenny Andrews and Gil Hearn, they, they went off racing and they came back to Miami and told Bobby about how good a racing was. In Alabama and Georgia, he said you can race five nights a week if you want to. All asphalt, and the money pays really good money. So Bobby decided to go to Alabama and try it out, and I went with him as a, as as a helper. I didn't. I was driving the amateur car at the time. I've only been racing about six months myself. I used to roller skate all the time. I didn't go to no races.
1: I remember that.
5: And so, so. anyway, uh, so we went. And the second week we were here, um, Gil quit on a Friday night at Dixie Speedway, uh, the quarter-mile in midfield. Uh, they had a disagreement, him and Kenny, and, and he quit. Well, Saturday night at Montgomery, Kenny went to Bobby, and he said, i got to get somebody to drive my car. Who should I get? He said, let Donnie drive it. So I started driving a modified car on that Saturday night in Montgomery, Alabama, and I, just, I never did go back to another, to my car. My car was in Florida with my brother, Eddie, and uh, I never got back, and he was an amateur anyway, and uh, that was how we started. So we go home to Miami, and Bobby tells Red Farmer. Well, Red Farmer was a uh, electrician by trade at the time, and he drove a car that a guy that it, it promoted races at Hollywood and Palm Beach owned a race car, and so Red decided that he was going to come up to Alabama. He was going to go to Jacksonville and run the dirt and then leave there and come over to Alabama. So we got Red to come to Alabama. And I, I was telling people in midfield about Red Farm. And because I used to love to watch him run at, Dix- at uh, Hollywood Speedway, which is a quarter mile. And, well, they come pulling in with a station wagon with a this- car on a single-axle landing map trailer. It didn't look very good. I had a 36 Chevrolet Coupe with a full hood on it, and they opened the hood, they took the covers off the two four-barrels, primed the carburetor, cranked it up, and backed it off the trailer. Everybody started laughing. I said, they won't be laughing so damn much when this race is over (laughs) tonight. And Red blew them in the woods, buddy. <laughs> I mean, then he, then he went to Montgomery the next night and blew him in the woods of Montgomery, the big Cadillac uh Sonny Black and, and uh, Jake Hatcher. And that, that's how Ridd got there. See, Ridd actually came to Alabama after Bobby and I, but then he was the first one to move residents to Alabama. Bobby and I kept going back to Florida in the wintertime, but Ridd in 1962, he bought a house and everything in Hueytown. So he he moved up first Then Bobby moved Then I went to drive for a guy Bob White Chattanooga In 64 I lived in Chattanooga one year And then moved from there to Hueytown I never left
2: donnie you're going into the hall of fame with uh, jimmy johnson and his crew chief chad Knaus. what one would you have liked to race against jimmy and two what do you think made jimmy and chad so good with one another winning uh, a record seven championships
5: Well, first of all, yes, I would like to race him, especially if I'd been in the same kind of equipment he was in. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, the Hendrick Hendrick equipment then was by far superior. Well,
5: you know, equipment is no better than the driver. You know, I mean, you can have the greatest equipment in the world, and and we got some drivers out there that couldn't win if if everybody else fell out. But uh, Jimmy Johnson put everything he had into driving a race car and him and Chad can house really hit it all but it's no different than Ray Everham and Jeff Gordon you know Ray Evernham had other drivers beside Jeff Gordon didn't do as good and I mean it, it was just a match made in heaven you know they trusted each other when Jimmy wanted something Chad did it when Chad wanted to do something Jimmy did it and that's the way a good relationship that's the relationship I had with Runt and Pittman and and Haas Ellington. See, Runt never got the credit he deserved when I drove the Wine Tropic car. He is the main man of Haas Ellington racing. He was the engine builder, he was the crew chief, he's my right front tire changer. Uh, in fact if to be known, I talked to him this morning. You know, he called me this morning. I, I, uh, I didn't get a hold of him yesterday afternoon, but early this morning we talked. And he's another one. He didn't get the credit he deserved. Then he left. When Hutt Haas quit, he went to uh, the Four Car in Tennessee and built in for Ernie Urban and uh, Sterling Marlin. And look what they did.
1: Yeah. Well, um,. Hey, Donnie, what's good about NASCAR today and what's not so good?
5: Well, I, the good part is, is they have a good field of cars every every race. Uh, uh, they got the people coming back. The bad part is is uh, back in my day, if my brother outrun me on Saturday night, I went home and did something to my car to outrun him the next Saturday night, and now you can't do that. The rules of NASCAR has got it pretty well. Uh, we your hand are tied. I mean, they do everything they can do to make them go as fast as they can make them go. And I was talking to Jimmy Johnson about that yesterday, uh, you know, his deal at, at Indy. You know, he, I don't think he had a fair chance because the Indy cars now are all uh, rocket ships and they, and they run wide open. You can't have a race running the car wide open.
2: Yeah, um <laughs> you're exactly right. Um about Jimmy Johnson, I I spent a lot of time with Jimmy over the years and uh I always thought that his sort of his best skill as a driver was his ability to describe what he was feeling behind the wheel in a very uh, a colorful descriptive way to Chad Knaus and then Chad could make the proper adjustments. When you were driving, what, what was your what was your best skill? What what did you do best behind the wheel?
5: Well I understood what the car was doing ninety nine and nine tenths of the time because I worked on them all the time. And I had the fortune of having good crew chiefs, when I said I wanted to do something, they do it. And I'll give you an example. The Wine Tropic crew, if I came in the pit and I told them this car would do better if we turned the roof over, they'd cut the roof off. Uh, whatever I said, you know, was, was gospel. And, you know, they didn't say, oh, he don't know what he's talking about. Even if we dried something and maybe it didn't work as good, you know, they uh, they ne- never, never, and see, that's the deal with Chad and Jimmy. Jimmy would, would say something, and Chad would do it, but they a lot of things they tried probably didn't work.
1: Hey, how much is the communication between driver, crew chief, driver, and, and uh, spotters, and so forth? How much has it changed since you first got behind the wheel? Oh,
5: my God. Uh, there's, there's no comparison, none at all. First of all, it's all full of engineers. Uh, you know, the engineers telling the crew chief this is what it takes, that's what it's got to have. They're telling the driver, you know, this spring, you got to have this spring, you got to have this, you got to have that. And it's like Bobby Allison told him before he got out of it. You put your helmet on drive a damn thing down the corner and tell me, show me. Uh, I, we were in control in our day. And what I mean by that, I don't mean that we were bossy or anything like that, but but, when I had something done to my car, it was because I wanted to do it, not because somebody else told me that's what it had to have and now the the, the Joe Lagano and I were talking about this the other night. they come in and they tell you you're having a problem with with something on the car, and the engineer says, "This is what you got to do to fix it." and we didn't have that.
2: Uh, A few, many years ago, actually, uh, I was doing a long story on Jimmy Johnson, and I went to a test session with Jimmy and one of his teammates, and Jimmy was three-tenths of a second faster, right, on every lap, every lap, and then they decided, you know what, let's switch cars, well, guess what? Jimmy Johnson was three-tenths of a second seconds faster in the other car as well. Have you ever been in a situation like that where uh, you're getting somebody else's equipment and you're actually driving it better than the driver uh, whose car it actually is?
5: Well, I'm going to tell you a little story. And this is not against anybody or anything else. I got my brother's race cars five times. Bobby Allison race car five times, and he never ran as fast as I ran in his own car. <laughs> and Do you guys was I a better that? driver or uh, uh, something suited me better or what? I don't know. Um, it, it,
3: uh,
5: I don't know. Uh, definitely driver makes a difference, okay? To say that I'm a better driver than Bobby... Uh, For you to say it, that's up to you. But I, I say it because I feel yeah, like you
1: it. You do. And you do. As I you know,
5: see they asked it. Me, they asked me the other day who the best driver it was. I knew it. I said me. <laughs>
1: Love it. Never, never bashful or in doubt. Um, is there a driver on the NASCAR circuit right now, Donnie, that does drive like you used to? I know you're a big Logano guy.
5: Yeah. Joey Logano, well, he uses more brains than I used. <laughs> uh, probably um, Kyle Larson. What, what Kyle Larson stands on. I did. Uh, you know, I, I was told by Banjo one time I drove my car too hard. Drove, I tell him, I said, oh, I'm supposed to drive it hard. I got to try to win the race.
1: Well, this <laughs> Uh, what Do you have a favorite moment? Was there a favorite victory that Donnie Allison had on the NASCAR circuit?
5: Well, yeah, there was a lot of them. But uh, probably the, the, the most that one stands out in my mind was when I won the race in Hoss's black and gold car at Charlotte in the National 500 in 1976. Uh, maybe 76. Anyway... Uh, so I won that, that was after I got fired from DIGAR. I came back to Alabama in 75, July, and put my NOVA together and, and bailed myself out. I didn't have anything. And then I won that race in Hoss's car, and I walked over to Bill Gardner and punched him in the chest, and I said, I'm the SOB that couldn't drive, remember? <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey. Uh, Donnie much congratulations to you and yeah. your family uh, well learned and uh, probably a little bit on the late side in my opinion but you're there now they can't they can't take that risk that's right I'm you now if, if, <laughs> if, if, I to, if I make it if make it
5: January that's when the official program goes on and, uh, are we about done? Yeah, we're through. <laughs> Donnie, I appreciate it. Right, well, I want to say, say I want to say I want to say something to all the listeners. I want them to listen to me. I'm going to be at uh Opelika Saturday, August the 12th from 10 to 12 and 2 to 4 at, at King Honda. If they want to come see me and get an autographed, come on. Right.
1: Will you be back here uh Talladega in October? O- oh yes, I will. Yeah. Very definitely. I see you every race with your lovely wife pat donnie congrats from all of us once again thank you very much all right you bet Uh, all right thank you donnie 2024 inductee into the nascar hall of fame back to football on the other side of the break we are going to let you hear what nick saban had to say uh at his nick's kids event last night We just decided we're going to play it in its entirety. You may have heard it on Gary Harris' show earlier, but you're about to hear it again. It's pretty good stuff on Big Noon Sports.
2: Hey, Mark Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather.
0: We're tracking strong storms dropping south across north Alabama this afternoon. We're going to deal with them and a couple of more this afternoon, tonight and tomorrow. Hot and humid your forecast. Heat indices approaching dangerous levels. Some of those storms could be strong to severe. 95 today, 75 tonight, 93 tomorrow with a couple of rounds of strong, possibly severe storms again on Friday. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9.
3: It's 94 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Good, good, good. Well, we appreciate
6: you coming here today. Uh, this is obviously a mixed kids event, which is you know, our sort of way to give back to the community. Uh, Miss Terry and her staff and group of people who support Next kids did a fantastic job of helping us help a lot of young people have a better chance to have a better quality of life or a better chance to be successful in life and also improve the quality of life for some of the, the people in the community who um, maybe aren't as fortunate so obviously you guys know the history behind this was all started by my father uh, way back when he bought a school bus and picked up kids so that they could participate and have opportunities to go to college and did a lot of things for those kids and my mom always wanted us to do something or to give back to the community and help kids if we were ever in a position to have the opportunity to do it so we're excited about not only this event today but also this event always sort of kicks off football season in my mind in terms of meetings starting later today and you know practice starting them all so uh, appreciate y'all coming out it kind of gratifying is it to see the people face to face that you're impacted you know I, I think a couple things the people that are impacted face to face is really self-gratifying but also an opportunity to tell the people who help the kids every day how much you appreciate the sacrifices that they make to be able to do this. And probably an unexpected consequence of this is I'm really proud of the fact that we have so many players now who have their own foundations who have taken a similar path to try to help other people. And maybe the example that as Terry has said here in terms of this foundation and the contribution that they made to it while they were here, you know, inspired them to do something, you know, when they had the opportunity to do it. So I'm really kind of proud of them for doing that as well. What's something that's been maybe the most memorable moment out of all the years of
7: doing this that really sticks your
6: here? Well, probably the, when, we, when we had the tornado, uh, the community was in such a state of disarray. Uh, and to be in a position to, you know, build 13 houses, you know, feed home shelters, uh, buy people $50 gift certificates at Walmart, uh, and all those things to sort of help the quality of life and to have a presence in the community to talk to people who had lost so much. Now that's probably, and the team did a tremendous job of giving back to the community, and they were kind of dedicated to winning the championship after that, so... Uh, that's probably one of the things that sticks in my mind the most of everything that we've basically done. What's the biggest challenge?
4: This camp, the to initiative?
6: Well, does that have anything to do with Nick's kids? It does not. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I,
4: I tried.
0: <laughs> yeah,
6: we all do. So, um, look, well, we're going to have press conferences about this season and this team, uh, but you know, talent is not good enough because at some point in time you're going to come across somebody else who has just as much talent as you so having the right mindset uh, to go with your talent is really really important you know things happen play in and play out in games And you know obviously we learned that last year and if you're not prepared to execute on every play and you never know when these plays are coming up And when you make mistakes in critical times, they can have a huge impact. So hopefully we can get this team to be a little more focused on um, play in and play out, uh, not so anxious about outcomes uh, that they can't stay focused on what they need to do to execute that particular play.
1: Hey coach, at what point, coach, at what point did you realize your success on the field, does also translates to you being able to help charities and families out in, in the communities that you and your family are
6: in? Yeah, well, we didn't have a tremendous amount of success at Michigan State, but we did start this, you know, foundation at Michigan State along with, you know, Tom Izzo and... Ron Mason, who was a very successful hockey coach, we kind of did a joint venture there. So when we went to LSU, uh, we also picked it up and um, got a lot of support. And then we had some success, and the support got greater, and we could make a greater impact. Um, did it at Miami when we are at the Dolphins. and uh, It's never been as huge, though, as it's been here at Alabama. And I think that's because of all the support that we get from a lot of folks, uh, as well as you know, Miss Terry's, you know, sort of commitment and the people around her's commitment to really, you know, help other people, and obviously the success, you know, sort of helps that as well. But I guess the pressure's on me to continue to have success. All
1: right. <laughs> well, that pressures every year, but uh, he's just really grown. Don't you think emotionally? And he's grown emotionally attached to Alabama and the city of Tuscaloosa. And it may all go back to your book, The Storm and the Tide, and um, how he handles himself and how he raises all this money. And this is just one of his efforts. And he he's building a, a huge educational center right down there in Tuscaloosa, too. That it's, just, it's a Taj Mahal to education. But... Um, He gives a lot back. You can get irritated with what he says here or maybe even a play call there. But uh, don't ever doubt
2: that he is married to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yeah. um, Man, I only have like 90 seconds to respond to that. That's a tough one. I've written two books on the guy. Yeah, we can carry that over
1: the top. Well,
2: I I just want to say really quick, um, he mentioned his dad. And I've said this repeatedly. Whenever Nick Saban mentions mentions Big Nick, as his dad was known, I always really perk up, right? Because you know that this is really important to him. The single most uh, influential person in Nick Saban's life was his father. Now, go and travel to West Virginia and look at uh, Nick Saban Sr.'s headstone. And the epitaph says it all. Quote, no man stands so tall as when he stoops to help a child. Think about it. I mean, this is the fundamental guiding principle of Nick Saban's life that he inherited like genetic code from his dad. And Nick's kids is a manifestation of that. And I think at his core, he just wants to help young people achieve uh, as much as they possibly can, he wants them to fulfill their potential.
1: And a lot of them that he met with last night will do just that, thanks to his efforts along with the driving force here, which we all know is Miss Terry. But certainly, Nick is a, a major part of it. Absolutely, as well. we should do all. Uh, I haven't on had Ms. a Miss Terry. I haven't had a chance to ask you if the purchase of his Jupiter, Florida vacation home means he's leaving Alabama. We'll discuss that for about 13 seconds next hour on Big Noon Sports.
0: HD2 Northport and w 265 CG Tuscaloosa. A town square media station. What may it be, you could forget about it. Touchdown, Alabama. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app.
3: More Big Noon Sports coming up.
1: Yeah, like right now. Welcome back, second hour, of Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage. You just heard the uh, four or five minute clip from Nick's kids last night Coach Saban talking about uh, his contributions and uh, helping the children, and that's it's, it's just a wonderful thing. Uh, Lars, uh, let's let's talk media here for just a second, because if you noticed, I think the first or second question is this second question that was asked. You could distinctly hear that it was from Jeff Spiegel. And and Jeff Spiegel did, in my opinion, what you do in a circumstance like this is you stay inside the guidelines. You stay right there with the event and ask about the event. And that's exactly what he did. He got a great soundbite for his 10 o'clock news. Then someone else asked about the football team. I'm okay with that, too. He's a football coach. If he doesn't want to answer it, then don't answer it. That's fine. But um, I didn't have any problem with either one of them, especially Spiegel, because, you know, how much we love that guy.
2: Yeah, we love Jeff Spiegel. Um, No, I I have no problem with how that whole transaction occurred, right, of information and questions and answers. And, uh, you know, of course, Nick is going to poke the reporter a little bit, like saying, hey, man, we're here for this. But then. Hey, Nick Saban, he gave a great response to the football question. And that's what uh, we talked about at the top of the show is that, um, you know, this idea that the most talented team doesn't always win the game or win the national championship. You have to uh, be, you know, mentally prepared. You have to uh, be, uh, be willing to... Uh, um you know embrace failure to a certain degree to to overcome certain obstacles and um yeah yeah so i, I think you know nick saban he he gave everybody what they wanted and yep. and the the fact is like w- we do need to talk more about miss terry and what a uh, legacy she is creating not just for the saban family not just for her husband but for herself I mean, she really is, uh, gosh, um, one of the most influential people in all of Alabama and in all of the South. And you don't often see that type of, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the wife of a football coach take on such a high profile um, sort of uh not position but uh, a, a high profile uh different activities that she does so um she's really an incredible i mean she's she's a great ambassador for Tuscaloosa and the state of Alabama Matt and and have you have you had much interaction with miss terry
1: no not really um uh, but uh, i have been around her and she's just also always so pleasant and sweet and You know, you make a good point, and I'm going to run a couple of names by you. And oftentimes, uh, wives don't want to be a part of that, and that's fine. In fact, that's good. If that's what makes their marriage work, that's great. But I don't know, and I'm I'm not out in the Pac-12, so I I really don't know what um, Lincoln Riley's wife does. But I do know in this general area, and I don't know that in my lengthy career— Blessed as a broadcaster, if I've seen a wife more active than Miss Terry, and you know, let me just name a couple. Uh, Be Smart's wife—I don't even know her name. She's—and—and mm. and and this is not a criticism, Lars. People understand what I'm saying, don't they? Mm-hmm. This is to boost and boast and brag on Miss Terry, but just kind of go around in your head about wives of football coaches and who's active, who's not. And Miss Terry will be at the top of my list on just about every particular situation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you know what their first date was?
1: Uh, oh, I've heard this. Uh, I heard the story about him going back by the gas station, the guy that was going <laughs> out with Miss Terry before. Uh, <laughs> well, remarks remarkable. Hey, there he is. Uh, look where you'd have been. Uh, something like that.
2: But uh, no, share it with me. When Nick Saban was 16 years old in 1967, he went and uh, asked Miss Terry to go to a movie, and uh, the two went to see a uh, a uh, a re-release of a legendary flick that first came out in 1939. And then it, it came back to theaters in the 50s, and then again in the mid 60s. And that movie is Gone the with glob. the Wind. The Gone with the Wind. No, how classy is that? What a great, like, you know, first date story. Wow. You go and see Clark Gable, you know, and, and, and Gone with the Wind. And, and uh, man, we, we really could dig deep on this. I, I've spent a lot of time with the. Uh, uh, miss Terry over the years. And, um, it's a true partnership that they have. And, uh, if you want, I always think, you know, especially when a couple has been together so long, I, I tend to zero in when I'm doing a, you know, a deep dive story on, on the, uh, spouse right? Because the spouse knows the, the subject better than anyone else. And, um, you know, they just, uh, they, they fit together so well, right? Like, you know, she handles all of the affairs that need to be handled so that uh, the, the day-to-day stuff, uh, the running of the household and, you know, when they had kids and, and, and all of that. And uh, um, she handles things so Nick can do his thing. And I think that it, uh, you know, it takes a special kind of player to uh, succeed at Alabama. I think it takes a special kind of uh, partner to succeed in a relationship with Nick Saban. And, um, you know, uh, I I think I, I, I can say without qualification, I'm pretty sure I know who's in charge
1: yeah and there's a lot of give and take between the two and how much oh, they do and where they do it and uh, aloud's a bad word, but uh some coaches would just rather keep it all right there with them, and wives are okay with that and, and I'm certainly okay with that but uh uh her being so uh effervescent and she just she lights a room up you know this person yeah. that you, you want to be around. And, boy, does that ever help
2: when you're asking for checks? <laughs> she, <laughs> you know? uh, to me, she's like the epitome of Southern elegance, right? Like, she just, uh, it's almost as if she is floating across the room. And as awkward as Nick Saban can be sometimes in social settings, Miss Terry is graceful. Right. She's clever. She's witty. Uh, You know, don't don't get into a battle of wits with Miss Terry. She'll get you. She will get you. I promise you. And um, it's she's a very uh, different type of uh, uh, of a I don't know, a partner to a football coach as opposed to uh, Chris Arians. Right. Bruce's wife. <laughs> uh, the last time I saw Chris, it was uh, Tom Brady's last home game at Tampa. And uh, we uh, I was with Chris in the in, in Bruce's suite and the, the, the Bucks were struggling. Tom was missing some throws. And I tell you, she just <laughs> she laid it out. She laid it out. She laid it out in uh, the bluest of language, shall we say. And guess who was right next door to us? Uh, This is why they are so married. Giselle. Giselle. And and Chris did not care. (laughs) She did not care. I mean, Chris is going to give you some truth. Uh, if you want to hear it or not. And I think that, that, that relationship with Bruce, uh, they've been married, I don't know, almost 50 years. Uh, it, it just, it works, right? They figure out a way to make it work. And obviously the same is true, in, but in a different fashion with Nick and Miss Terry. Uh, and just like you and Karen, right? You make it work. I, I, I'm still searching for that, but uh, one day.
1: Oh, well, I was I was blessed beyond belief when I met Karen. There's no question about it. Uh, she's a wonderful wife and uh, mother, and um, she's my soulmate. Thanks yeah. for bringing that up, and we'll start no, crying. Well, no, I'm saying ser- no, uh, she's, no, she's, she's no, everybody a be- agrees she's, with you. She's as
2: beautiful uh, of a person as she is physically beautiful, right? Yeah. Like, uh, she, she's the total package.
1: Yeah, she is indeed. Um, well, I'm, I'm stumbling to follow up on that. Uh, okay, uh, I did want to make a note here uh, on on some of the things. Alabama has lost a wide receiver. Ty Jones-Bell, he had four catches and 19 yards last week. But uh, he is uh, not on the field. He's no longer on the roster either. So, And we told you last hour about Jarquez Hunter running back from Auburn. He is not on the field. But he is still on the roster, Lars. Look into that wonderful Nebraska crystal ball that you brought all the way from Lincoln. Yeah. How is the Jarquez Hunter running back? And for those that don't don't know why he isn't on the roster, um, he was allegedly in some sex tapes that ended up online, and how they were obtained is a great question, uh, because some some people believe that. It was pirated from his iCloud account, but he's got to know better than that, too. I don't know how long his suspension or what his penalty is. But now, back to the big red ball,
2: what's going to happen? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, before practice, uh, Hugh Freeze didn't comment on his status. And so uh, that's a that's a tough one to... Uh, to sort of, you know, get your powers of divinity and and figure out what is going to happen there. But, um, you know, Nick Saban is going to meet, switching over to Alabama again, he's going to meet with the press here, or the media, I think like 4.30 or so. Um, What do you think the first question's going to be? And if you had the first question, Matt, what would you, Matt Coulter, ask Nick Saban? Uh... I promise you it wouldn't be about quarterbacks. Oh, it's got to be. Come on. Who took the first snap them. with the ones?
1: Oh, well, I would probably ask more about the offensive line because all you're going to do when you ask him about the quarterbacks is you're going to hack him off oh, yeah. and you ruin the news
2: conference. Oh, yeah. No, I'm it's going it's to be great. Wait till late. Be great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you would just, you would bolt out of the gate and say, Hey, Nick,
2: who got no. the first snap?" Uh, I'm always a subtle, I'm the, I'm the subtle guy who lurks you know, in the back of the room. Larson <laughs> here's, here's the deal about news conferences like that.
1: I'll share it with you after the break, because I yeah. think it's rather insightful. Uh, you'll hear my view on that as charade. we continue on, on Big news Sports.
2: process, the Bama broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker at thebamabroker.com That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com
0: Tide 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather We're tracking strong storms dropping south across North Alabama this afternoon. We're going to deal with them and a couple of more this afternoon, tonight and tomorrow Hot and humid your forecast Heat indices approaching dangerous levels. Some of those storms could be strong and severe. 95 today, 75 tonight, 93 tomorrow with a couple of rounds of strong, possibly severe storms again on Friday. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 93 degrees in
3: Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Hello
1: and welcome back. Rick Christophil, the Bucs, Tampa Bay, will join us at the bottom of the hour. Of course, he was in Birmingham for quite some time, too, with the Blazers. So, Lars, um, you and I are sitting there at the National Championship press conference, and Nick Saban steps to the podium. Uh, I'm not one to lead it, because I always want to get the gauge, you know, the temperature. Is, he in, is this guy going to be in a great mood, ask him something funny, or is he going to be very, very stoic and and toe the line? So I'm not one to just jump out there and try and ask the first question. And I'm also not one that goes, I'm here, I need to ask a question. That just drives me crazy, just so they can hear themselves talk and introduce themselves and all that kind of stuff. In fact, I've gone to quite a few news conferences where I never asked a question because somebody else has asked a question that gives me my story and so I don't have to ask it over again. Uh, I've been in line to ask a question, and the guy before me asked the question, and I'm gonna, I am said, no, he got what I needed. And you just hand the microphone. Um, I'm, I'm, I, uh, I'm pretty outspoken about that, but I won't point anybody out. That's not my job. But we've all been around reporters like that. And the ones that ask questions that go on for six and a half days, just so they can hear themselves talk. I'm preaching
2: to the choir, aren't I? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, okay, if you and I are uh, covering a national championship game together and, um, you know, you're you're doing the TV thing, I'm doing the print thing, and uh, I am going to ask you as a friend and a colleague that – before the press con, I, I'd say I'd we I would discuss this with you beforehand, and I'd just say, Hey, Matt, um, I'm not going to be at the press conference. Can you just tell me uh, anything about body language, mannerisms, you know, anything uh, that would uh, help to paint the picture of Nick Saban up at the dais, right? And then I would go and do reporting. Uh, My number one rule that I teach or I try to pass along to my students is if there's a group of reporters standing in one place, go to another place. (laughs) <laughs> right. You gotta, you, and so, I, and, and also- an the, exclusive no, there. The, no, there is not. And, and it's all transcripted or in videotape. I mean, look, there, nobody's going to be breaking any news at a, at a press conference, right? And so uh, I would go and try to either, I don't know, find Miss Terry, find uh, one of Nick's kids, uh, children grown adults now, I should say, and uh, or talk to players, I don't know, backup center, backup offensive linemen, uh, you know, just like guys who uh, aren't normally uh, approached by reporters, but who have a wealth of information. Right. And and I I love going to offensive linemen because generally speaking, this is a very general thing. uh, They tend to be very smart very smart and perceptive and uh, and articulate. And so uh, then after the press conference is over, I'd circle back with you and you would give me your impression, uh, hopefully, if we were still friends. And, uh, <laughs> then, and then I would... Then, no, but then I'd, I'd, I'd feather what you told me into the copy somehow. But uh, yeah, I I'd never stick around for press conferences. I, I think in in my entire uh twenty five years at Sports Illustrated for twenty and then Bleacher for five. Um I probably asked I think I can count on one hand how many questions I've asked yeah. at a press conference. You're just like me. I mean there's yeah. just it's just unless there's if it's something not necessary,
1: pressing. if it's something you really need to ask, then ask it. Yeah. But yeah. don't ask a question to
2: hear yourself talk.
1: Yeah. It just
2: yeah man uh, that, that i I, that I do not like that, and also just you know you you, you have to read the room a little bit too sure and don't it, like after the after say Alabama wins a national championship, don't ask a question about um you know the backup uh, left uh, guard who <laughs> got hurt in the fourth quarter with a minute left. Right. Uh, Can you give us an update on, you know, so and so rather than, you know, really just to try to get something of substance. But the thing is, if you are a really good writer, you don't want to ask your best question at a press conference because I wouldn't want any other writer to know what I am thinking of how I'm going to approach the story, because you can sort of give your you can give it away. Yeah, you can give it away by how you ask a question, and we know They're, how well that's worked out for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, don't get me started on that. That's it's not. That's funny, a that's a deal. lawsuit waiting to happen against yeah. me because I will slam somebody. But uh, yeah, <laughs> and you know who it is. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. But,
1: uh I, I I hope that people are listening to big known sports get a kick out of what we just talked about because it's kind of some inside information because fans aren't allowed in news conference at least most of the time i've seen a lot of times though lars when a coach is being hired they have a news conference there are a lot of boosters and fans in those now oh yeah you're not going to get in to the auburn locker room after a game or the news conference if you're just an everyday joe fan but um uh, I find them to be very interesting. It's a great observation. On the you said that read the room, read the coaches, read the media, see what they're see what they're feeling, yeah. and, and move it on from there. Because as I've said now three times, hey Karen, uh, <laughs> What's up? hey hey Hello. hey Karen. Uh, well, you should have heard Lars a minute ago. He was bragging on you. Ah, uh, so, <laughs> he's, he's a smart man. Yeah, sometimes, yeah, sometimes, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, you're right when you said you think maybe five times you've asked questions in all the yeah. news conferences you've been.
2: Yeah, you know, no, I just go to
1: go to the uh, SID and find out about somebody else, or yeah, uh, pick up a, a lead for you know. One of the things I always like to do is if you're in another city or covering another team, go to their. Go to their beat reporter. Absolutely. If it's a good guy. That is, if he's a good a guy, perhaps group. you know him. Yep. But you go to the beat writer and you say, hey, I don't want to give down and distance in this story. Okay? Yeah. I want some I want some information. I want something that nobody else writes about, but I can do it. Um, that's the way you and I both are. And it's let me also say this as we just go on and just flatter ourselves here uh there is a vast difference between questions asked questions answered and question used in a story from television to print y- yes i need and... a
2: 15 second sound bite well see that, that's the thing too like all right as a as a writer just with a notebook i can be pretty subtle Right, and I, I will outweight anybody. I, I've told my students this, like, I uh, if I have a one hallmark skill is I will outweight you, uh, meaning that I will be the last reporter in the locker room uh, because I want to get guys one on one, and um, it, so it's easy for me just with a, a pen and a notebook, right, and a recording device, a small one, just in my hand, to do that but if you do that with a camera, Matt, you know this, if you get a guy one-on-one, a player in any sport you're covering, um, there's going to be once people see and the reporters, other reporters like see the
1: light.
2: Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then suddenly yeah. it's a, you know, a, 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 you got 30 cameras on somebody. And so is there a way to finesse it? You know, when you do have a, well, a, a camera there and, and you try to, you know, get some one on one time with uh, the, the I don't know, the backup quarterback or, you know. Yeah, it, uh,
1: there there used to be a way to do it, because that back in the day where you talk to a certain player a certain number of times, they know you and hopefully they have a certain amount of respect for you. And then you can go, hey, Gary. Over here, And you you find yourself a little corner behind the curtains over here where nobody else can see you. Because you're right. When you fire up that lamp, I mean, it is literally moss to a flame because everybody else wants to know what you're getting because they don't want you to get it and not get it themselves. So it's a lot more difficult to do now. Um, I always found, and I I think they've all had to kind of accept a certain role now, but, you know, back in the day... I, and again, we, we are so alike in the way we view things. But back in the day, uh, get to know, like, respect your SIDs and your associate SIDs. Absolutely. Because, and you know, and I'm not beyond buying them lunch or a beer or something because, you know, like Norm Riley, one of my favorite SIDs of all time, and David Housel I at mean, Auburn. Housel, These were love people that, you, that, that opened up. And you became more than a business associate. You were friends. And you could ask them questions that maybe you couldn't ask others. And um, they wouldn't leave other media members out, but they would let you know something. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because if another um,
1: member of the media went up to them and asked them the same questions, they're going to say the same answer. Yeah. Uh, But maybe I ask a better question because I've got
2: a better lead. Yeah, absolutely. And... um gosh there's so many SIDs across the country that I'm in debt to just because you know I, I, I you just talk to them. you talk to them that's what reporting is you just talk and the it's SIDs annoying. the SIDs know the uh, the players and the coaches as well as any as well as anyone and they know the unique angles that haven't been written about and you uh, yeah, t- tremendously helpful. I, I, I'm thinking of like Jeff Purinton, um, who's now uh, the athletic director. I think at Arkansas State, he was uh, when Nick Saban arrived. He was he was sort of Nick's guy, and uh, Jeff became we just became really good close friends. You know, we just with a high level of respect for one another.
1: It's a uh, it's a really cool thing with the SIDs, yeah. and every once in a while, they'll come over to you and they'll say, uh, "Hey, Lars." Did you know so and so is taking ballet? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> Don't tell anybody else. <laughs> hey, uh, let's talk some football, NFL, NFL style, with Rick Chrisfield on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage.
2: this is the Big Noon Sports Network.
3: Back on Big Noon
1: Sports, it's Matt, Lawrence, Justin Jones. Justin, have not given you your just due today. Hello, thank you for what you've done all week, and thank you what you do behind the curtain every day for Lars, myself, and all the listeners to Big Noon Sports. Our next guest literally used to be my neighbor. We lived in the... You know what? Uh, Lars, I think he lived over there kind of close to where you are now. But We're not going to get into that. My point is <laughs> that uh, Rick Christofeld spent a lot of uh, time in Birmingham, Alabama, and he uh, went to Tennessee for a while. Tennessee Tech ended up with the Tampa Bay Bucks. He's You got one of those big old gaudy rings, don't you, Rick? Yeah,
7: they're,
2: they're pretty nice to have. You know what I mean, Matt? You, how you doing, Lars? Hey, I'm doing great, Rick. Hey, the, the thing about your ring though doesn't the top come off? I, I Bruce uh, let me play around with his once, and uh, that thing is so huge. It
7: is. It, the The top does come off. We we kind of started a, a a trend because I think the Braves when they won the World Series they got it and their their top came off, and then the the Rams won the world the Super Bowl and that they, they, their top came off. So. I think we kind of started a trend.
2: <laughs> I love it. I love it.
1: Hey, uh, Rick, how was golf with Bruce Arians yesterday? You know, uh, about a week ago,
7: I didn't think he was ever going to ask me to play again. I was so bad. But yesterday, we 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 did all right. You
1: know,
2: we, we got in some people's pockets. <laughs> good.
1: It's always good to hear. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Bruce, Bruce is intense out on the course. Like there there's not a lot of uh you know chattering going on back and forth. Like uh he's he when he gets dialed in and 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 I'm I'm assuming I haven't played with Bruce in over a year, but I, he can hit the ball like a country mile. For it's it's remarkable. Who, who who usually is longer off the tee? You or Bruce? Oh, Bruce by far. Bruce, by far, he's, he's such a competitor, but we,
7: we both are. You know, I, I don't take it quite as serious as he does, um, but, you know, you still like to go out there and, and do your best, and uh, it was fun yesterday. We, we had a good time.
1: Rick, I want to I ask you about another head coach, and I don't know how much time you spent uh, around him, but I find Belichick very intriguing. Uh, I also find him sometimes to be quite the ass. Um but have you been around him? Uh is he kind of the way you see him and we watch him in his interviews? Is is that the way he is all the time?
7: Well, I you know, I I never I only got to meet him. I never I've never been around him, but to hear okay. uh Gronk and and Tom talk about him, you know, it's kinda of his demeanor. Even though I, I, I hear when he's off the field he's he's got um he's got some heart to him, you know what I mean? He's He's not one of those guys that's just going to be very arrogant and, and do that stuff. I, I think that's one of his his sticks, and it's worked for him over years, and I don't think he's going to change.
2: Rick, um, a story that I don't think is getting enough attention in the NFL is uh, the quarterback situation at Tampa. Um, Baker Mayfield, Kyle Trask. I, I know that uh, you never personally coached Baker but uh, can you just tell us a little bit about Kyle Trask and, and his development? And do you see him as a, you know, a, as, a, as a long-term uh, possible starter in the NFL?
7: You know, Lars, it's always hard to tell about that position, you know, because, you know, look at Tom. I mean, he was drafted, you know, in the sixth round at 199. He ended up being, if he's not the best all-time, he's, you know, one of the top two. But I think Kyle's... Kyle has really started to develop, uh, and I think it's helping. You know, being out from underneath Tom and Blaine, uh, you know, to let him kind of flourish a little bit. He's got he's got some ability. Um, I know Thad Lewis is really working hard with him, and and I know one thing about Baker. This is uh, I was I wasn't involved in the total evaluation of him, but I know Bruce really liked him when he came out, and uh, I think one of the things about Baker he had. When he had his most successful year offensively, it was running a very similar type of offense that we ran because Freddie Kitchens was calling the offense up in Cleveland. Um, so he, he ran he, he ran that offense. But I think Kyle, if he'll just let himself go, and he just he listens to Thad and he he starts because he's got the he's got the physical ability. It's just now it's getting in the fire, feel the fire.
2: As a coach, um, Rick, what is this time of year like for you in the NFL? Right, it's the early days of training camp. You haven't uh, played even one preseason game. Is it just a uh, 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 just the absolute grind of the grind?
7: Yeah, it is. It's you know you're trying to get you're trying to get your guys in the right place. You're trying to prepare them, and, and plus you're trying to you know I, I can I can feel for the guys down in Tampa because. Especially on offense, because they're putting in a whole new scheme and uh, a new probably uh, a lot of different terminology. So you're learning on the run, doing those sort of things, and uh, but your fundamentals never change. Your fundament. And when you, when you're talking about stuff that you're going to do, you're going to do those things fundamentally every single day, and and work on that. And and I, you know, I was just I had a minute. Talked to uh, Harold Goodwin, uh, their head their assistant head coach and offensive uh, uh, in charge of the offensive line, and mm-hmm. uh, they were they were fixing ahead head to a, a team meeting. So it's 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 an ongoing thing. This is this is probably the hardest time. You're probably working anywhere from fourteen to sixteen hours a day uh, watching film, evaluating because you got ninety guys in camp. So you got to evaluate all the players you got.
2: And when it comes to injuries in camp, and I'm asking this because I'm a I'm a Bengals person and, and Joe Burrow, you know uh, the calf injury. Um, as, as a coach, are you are you on pins and needles a little bit, or is it just uh, you know you, you control what you control?
7: I, I you know I, I think at one time uh, uh, you you were at one time you are on pins and needles, but it gets to a point after two or three days you say. Oh, what the heck! I mean, you gotta let you gotta let the hammer down and find out if a guy if a guy gets hurt, you just hope he doesn't get hurt too bad that he's going to miss a whole lot of time and get him back. And then, plus, it gives another body, another person, a chance to, to get reps. So, uh, what you try to do is try to minimize as much as you can the, the amount of injuries you have, um, but you can't avoid them. That that's that's part of the game.
1: How much different are all fall camps, I mean, from the college and the pro level, uh, as far as hitting is concerned when you first got into the business?
7: Well, I, I, I think it's changed so much, Matt. I mean, it's, you know, we used to have, I, I, when we first started, we'd have three of them. And I know in the pro camps, that it's, it's changed totally because of the physical aspect of, you know, the players. They They don't even wear pads anymore in, in the spring. Uh, and so they don't, they miss out on all that. And then in the fall, they're kind of like, they kind of follow the college, they, they kind of follow the college atmosphere where, you know, you got, you can't have um, two padded practices in a row, I think. And it's like, you got to have one walkthrough, you got to do this, you got to do that. So <clears throat> I think that, that aspect, the physical aspect has totally changed. Now, the amount of time, I think it's become more of a mental game. I think you better, you know, especially in, in, in the NFL because, you, you only get so many reps, and if you don't get those reps and get them right, then you're kind of, you know, you're kind of screwed.
2: Rick, you spent a, a lot of time in uh, college football, coaching college football. And uh, today, uh, Alabama and Auburn are on the field for the first time. What, what is that first practice like? Is it just a, a lot of excitement? Do you, do you actually get something accomplished? Or do you try to go a little easy on the players because you don't want, you know, a hamstring to, to tweak? Or just can you uh, paint the picture for us of, of that first day of practice?
7: Well, I think the first day of practice is everybody's anxious. And I, I, I think you go out there and it's like you said, there's a lot of rah rah and, and, and a lot of energy and and everybody's moving around and and doing pretty you know, doing doing things at in a pretty good pace. Um so I think that's all I think that's all for that. I think it's a day, in about four or five days, then it becomes what they call dog day. Now now you find out what you really made of and what you're doing. And they have they in, in college football and in the pros, you have what they call an acclimatization period, where you got to go. I think it's three days in shorts uh, to get their bodies kind of in tone, and then you, and then you get your
2: first day of pay. Yeah, I think is that's it? actually is that that's in. Like, I think that's in the CBA, right? That the, the yeah. collective bargaining yeah. agreement that you have to kind yeah. of like taper in or up to it, I guess.
7: It, you do, and, I, and in college too. I know college they have an acclimatization period too because my brother is. My brother's still coaching in college and uh and they, they they uh they have to go like a I I can't remember two or three days in shorts before they start to pass
1: is it hotter in August and more humid in Tampa Florida or Birmingham Alabama
2: oh that's a good question that's a good question I, I we're, think, we're obsessed I, with weather Rick
1: yeah well we have to be it's, it's 107 <laughs> degrees here something on you know. You know what?
7: I, I I have to say that Tampa is a little more humid, but the, here's the thing about Tampa. And Lars, you know this. You have a thunderstorm probably every other day or every day in the afternoon. So you got to, that, that's kind of how you plan your practice. That's why they practice in the morning. That's why we practice in the morning. I don't know when they're practicing, but I'm, I'm sure they were. And, and there'd be times because you got to get off. If there's lightning within 10 miles, we had lightning sirens and all that stuff around the field. If there was lightning within ten or fifteen mi- uh, miles, we had to go in and wait right. for thirty minutes. We had to wait for thirty minutes for it to pass. So, I, I think I, I think they're pretty close, and I think the difference is that Tampa is we got the thunderstorms in the afternoon. Oh.
1: Uh, Rick, can you hang on? I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about football. Can you hang yes, on during the break? All right. Yes, sir. Rick Rick is on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage.
4: 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. We're tracking strong storms dropping south across North
0: Alabama this afternoon. We're going to deal with them and a couple of more this afternoon, tonight, and tomorrow. Hot and humid your forecast. Heat indices approaching dangerous levels. Some of those storms could be strong to severe. 95 today, 75 tonight, 93 tomorrow with a couple of rounds of strong, possibly severe storms again on Friday. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's
3: 93 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports.
1: It is indeed, as we wrap up the Thursday edition of Big Noon Sports. Rick, I uh, want to let you know real quick that Watson was on the show yesterday. Uh, so was he? How's he doing? He's doing great. He was leaving his uh, place there on uh, uh, the Warrior River, I think, and he was headed back to Tennessee. Uh, oh, but, okay. Uh, I, I was commenting to him, and I've done this with you before, because, uh, you know, I've been in this biz a while, but never sure. have I seen a staff so talented with so much experience stay at and I think we can all understand a mid-level uh, a mid-level school like a UAB especially in its infancy as a program why did y'all stick around
7: well i I, I think we saw what the we saw the the what do they call it the uh, fruits of our labor a, at the end I mean it was it was and you're right what a staff we had I mean, um, you go back and look Bill Clay's defensive coordinator Larry Vander Hayden, Pat Donahoe, uh, Pat Sullivan, I mean, you know we we were lucky to to have that staff uh, and, and have it together like that and 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 there were a lot there were a lot of there was a lot of untapped players you know Matt in Alabama at that time yeah. and and, uh, and I, I think that's the time that's kind of a time that Alabama went through a a, a kind of a, a thing where they were they were going all over the country and recruiting guys. And there was a lot of guys right there in the backyard that they you know, that were twos and threes that we were getting at UAB.
1: And y'all did a great job. Such a great job of developing these guys. I mean, Eddie Freeman and um Brian, Brian Thomas. Um, yeah. they they y'all coached th- them up now.
7: That whole front four, you know, Rodney Jones was from Vestavia High School. He went yep. He went to the Chicago Bears. Marlon Bush Lars was he went to the Bengals as a free agent, and then uh, uh, Adrian Singleton, the safety, went to the Bears as a free agent. Uh, our linebacker, who was really really good, went to the Ravens. And what I understand, he was backing up Ray Lewis until he got hurt. So I mean, there there was a lot of talent. Town. Yeah, a lot
1: yeah, of talent. and then there was this then there was this guy slinging around named Daryl Hackney. Um, yeah, he was he,
7: he was he wasn't throwing to a bad guy either.
1: No, uh, I asked Watson yesterday, I said, do you think there's any chance you could have held on to Roddy White in the transfer portal today? And he said, hell no. No, no, we,
7: we, we wouldn't have held on to any of those guys. And that, that's one of the reasons I would never go back and coach college football.
1: Hey, uh, speaking of football in Birmingham, uh, you know, the Stallions have won back-to-back USFL championships. And uh, – Man, there is a fan base here that just loves, walks, talks, and eats stallions. Um, right? How much does the NFL look at the USFL these days? Because we know at least two players from the Stallions have already signed and are already in training camp. I, I think I think it's
7: going to be an extension. I don't know how much. Uh, that that's the thing about it is those, have, those guys are have to be free agents, and you got to bring them into camp. You got to work them out. And uh, the good thing about it is. They're coming off of a season where they're in at least football shape. So when they come and work out, they can give you some of their best uh, uh, best efforts, and and that's a big thing. You know, the guy that was in charge of special teams for the Stallions was Chris Bonio, and he was with us in Tampa for the last four years. He got, he was he was one of the guys that got let go. So that was that was cool. You know, I just talked to Chris about about a week two weeks ago.
1: Damn! Um, good grief, uh, Neil Calloway. Is it on, on yep. the staff? And um, good grief. Now I'm forgetting who's the defensive coordinator. He's been in the SEC forever. Uh, oh, yeah. I, uh, I, his name has slipped me. But uh, oh, what do you think uh, Skip Holtz, is he yep. going to do this Northwestern thing? Uh, do you see that happening? And I'm not asking you to just, you know. Kind of read into a crystal ball, tell Skip Holtz what he needs to do. He's done a fabulous job, anyway. But what's his future? Does it? Can he step into the NFL as a head coach now? Uh,
7: you know, Matt, that that's that's a tough question. I, I, it's more it's, and I know he's had success in the USFL, and I I think it would have to be somebody that uh, that he knows, you know, one of the owners or something like that, like a GM. That's the way this stuff works so much anymore is um who knows who knows you um, it's not not like it used to be it's not like who you used to, who you know but who knows you and who's aware of you and that, and that's that's how a lot of these guys and plus the going cool thing right now is the guys that have that have been associated with shanahan gruden mcveigh you you look around the league and those are the guys that are kind of getting jobs
1: what do you think of uh nick saban in alabama going in the 2023 season
7: you don't ever count that guy out i mean he's he knows he knows way more he, he knows way more football and, and forgot way more football than i know and uh you know he's he knows how to plan he knows strategy he knows what he knows what his weaknesses are and what his strengths are and he he's you're gonna get the best you're gonna get the best of them this year and, and uh you know, I think it's going to be a great showdown with him in Georgia, and and then, you know, there's there's other teams in the league, LSU, Tennessee, everybody in that league is going to be strong, and I, I yeah, SEC is tough. I mean, it's the toughest. It's a, I don't care what anybody says,
1: it's the toughest conference in college. Oh yeah, Wow. Well, couldn't agree more. Uh what makes what couple of characteristics uh, or football X's and O's does Nick Saban possess that have made him perhaps the greatest college football coach of all time
7: well I, I think he knows how to I, I think he knows how to put together a winner I think that's the biggest thing uh, and I think he knows how to capitalize on his strengths and and minimize his weaknesses and uh, you know he he and he puts best product on the field I mean that's that's the one thing he's going to do he's going to put guys in position to be successful. And uh, when you can do that and you can do it consistently, then you got yourself a chance to win a national championship every year.
1: Rick Christophel, former UAB and NFL coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is our guest in Big Noon Sports. All right, let, let's go to the other side of the state. Um, what's your gut feel about what Hugh Freeze is going to do with Auburn?
7: Uh, I think, you know, everywhere he's been, he's, he's been a winner. I mean, you got to respect that part of it. And I mean, uh, it might take some time, um, and a lot of times they don't give you that much. Uh, but it's a good place for him. I think it's people aren't going to like this, but there's a lot of similarities between Auburn and Ole Miss. Um, he was very successful at Ole Miss, um, and I think he's going to go to Auburn, and, and he's going to he's going to uh, put his philosophy together and put it in pra- into practice, and, and uh, I think he'll. He, he'll surprise people.
1: All right, I'm bringing out the high gun now. If you're right. the czar of college football, what would Rick Christofel do to try and get the genie back in the bottle with NIL? And what? how would you restrict or would you restrict the transfer portal? I, I don't
7: know right I would. I, I'd, make, I'd make a player sit, I, and I know this sounds bad, but you have to sit out of here. If you're going to transfer, you had to sit out a year. I think the, the good thing they did is they did that with the graduates, you know, the fifth year graduates, you know, they, they could do that, especially if they, if they're pursuing a degree in, in, the original thought process, Matt, if you remember is the fifth year graduate was going to a school that he could pursue the degree he was trying to get. And that, that was the whole thought process of that. Um, but I, I, I would definitely make, uh, the transfers set out a year and, uh, Um, You know, maybe you can reduce some of it. I don't think you're going to reduce it all the time, but I I think that's got to be one thing you got to do.
1: How do we control NIL? These guys are getting a million, two million a year. Uh, Bronny James uh, is listed as his potential earnings through NIL at six million dollars a year. I
3: know. Some of these guys are
1: going to make more than their coaches. Uh, You know, I, I don't
7: i I don't know if you can or how you can control it i don't I don't know that i there's so much money out there there's so much money available that I don't think you can control it. I think what they try to do is is steer in some of the other stuff that was going on, and you know what it was and i I think that's that's how
1: they're doing it um got to be a tough deal for a guy like Trent Dilfer, but he's not bashful about saying what he thinks about it if he's trying to come after his players when they're on active roster on his team. uh, Comment on that, if you will, Rick, and and also just on your impression so far as we're about to start the Trent Dilfer era at UAB. Well, it's going
7: to be, you know, I'll I'll start with the latter part first. I I think it'll be interesting to see how he does, uh, you know, especially since um, he's jumping right from high school to college and 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 do those sort of things. Football is football, you know that part. That part take care of itself. But uh, as a head coach, and you know, and I was lucky enough to be one for at a smaller school. It's tough as a head coach to separate yourself from all the outside uh, noise. Um, meeting with administration, meeting with this person, meeting with that person, and then having control over all these family, all, all your coaches families and all those people that you have to call over. that 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 I think now to answer the other question I, I know in the NFL if you contact somebody that's on an active roster it's tampering and tampering yeah. can cost yeah it'll cost you a lot of money and it could cost you draft picks and all that stuff so to me you know if you, if you're going to do that you better implement something like they do in the NFL um, with tampering
1: you know, here's a really, really good example of coaching is coaching. Do, do you know thirty years ago, where Hugh Freeze was? He was yeah. at Briarcrest High School. Yeah, it was in Memphis at Briarcrest High School. That's exactly right. We, we see a lot more of that now. I, I remember a long time ago that it just you, high school coaches were high school coaches and college coaches were college coaches. But uh, again, it goes back to what you just said, Rick. And football's football. Yeah. Just. Uh, it's a wonderful game. Are you excited! About time to put yeah. it on.
7: Yeah, I know. I told Connie. You know what? I forgot. Speaking of that, she said, she said uh, uh, probably my checks in the mail, right?
1: Yeah, she. Yeah, I saw her text last night. So uh, your text. <laughs> Just tell Connie oh. I love her and my kids still love her today. She was an integral part of my children's education because of uh, what she did at Vestavia. I uh, guess it was middle, uh, but she had the pleasure of dealing with all three of my children. So. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah she, we were
7: talking about that the last time you got
1: off. She loved those kids. She loved yeah. us, the, the oh, ball uh, and uh, yeah. better people for having been around Connie. Thanks, Rick. We got to get some beers and play some golf, okay? That's right. You know what?
7: I, I, I heard that. I want to go to that cigar place that you got as a sponsor.
1: Uh, you know, I thought about it because that's a perfect place to take you and yep. they got great sticks and great bourbon and they'll, they'll even find you a course life if you can believe it uh that sounds good <laughs> thank you so <laughs> much rick it's been a blast appreciate it uh, thanks matt thanks Lars. You see y'all all right okay cool. good deal all right justin uh put a cap on this one and uh move along um thank you for your efforts as uh we wrap up the thursday edition i'm working on tomorrow's show and um To be very honest with you, I've been doing this a while. Uh, I just hope tomorrow's show can um, be 75% of what this one was because this has been, with Donnie Allison and Rick Christopher as your guests, you really can't go wrong. So appreciate that. Appreciate everybody listening and um, everybody that dials in. And uh, Justin, go home take a nap. You don't have to tell me twice. Because you know that's exactly what I'm doing. (laughs) I get myself a big sandwich, and I'll just lay down on the couch and got appointments tonight. All right, again, I babble on nonsensically. You've been listening to Big Dune Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage.